Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go. Let's go to California, I'm pretty sure. I no, mean, the palm. We, we start in the Midwest, I thought. Okay. I have no idea where we are. Okay. At the beginning, isn't it uh, on flashback? Yeah. Yeah, really it is. To know. I just thought maybe like it was northern New York, northern California, and they moved south. Or I just saw palm trees in one of the. Oh yes, yes. So they, we, we we eventually get to SoCal. We are doing the 1964 flick, Straight Jacket. S T R A I T. Dash. Jacket. Jacket. A crazed axe murderer released after spending 20 years in a mental institution for lopping off the heads of her husband and his lover or one night stand returns home to see her daughter who witnessed the murders. Particulars. Okay. Before we do the particulars, I just have to say, I don't know if I can speak for anyone else, but I think that this movie is worth checking out, and we're going to be having spoilers in this conversation. So yes, and there are spoil like if you, there is a plot twist. Indeed. So. Yeah, and it's only like an, it's only like ninety minutes, right? Ninety three minutes. Ninety three. Yeah. So it it goes fast and it is I mean you get some belly laughs. And just one of the great icons of actresses. Um with a range of emotions she plays. Just because this woman had range. Yes. So I mean, you know, I know we say this a lot, but it's worth checking out. It's available for rent on your Apples, your Amazons. You know, anywhere where you get your movies for rent and stuff. It's probably online. Just check it out. All right. The particulars. So you've been warned. Produced and directed by William Castle, who was born William Schloss Jr. He is of Jewish descent and took the name Castle. Why do you think, Ma? Because a schloss is a castle. Auf German. Auf Deutsch. Jawohl. He was orphaned at age 11 and dropped out of high school at age 15 to work in theater. He produced Rosemary's Baby. He directed House on Haunted Hill, Homicidal, and I Saw What You Did, among many other films. He is known as a... kind of like a B horror movie sort of specialist. Like this is kind of his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's written by Robert Blotch who wrote psycho. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also the cabinet of Kilgari and the night Walker. And he also wrote a bunch of other novels and short stories and all sorts of things. So many things. The music is by Van Alexander, who also did Babyface Nelson, I Saw What You Did, and TV shows such as Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. Arthur Arling 
was the director of photography. He also worked on Gone with the Wind, Pillow Talk, and the the film I'll Cry Tomorrow, which is not to be confused with my biopic, I'd Rather Cry Right Now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just stay in here and cry. (laughs) Uh, The editor is Edward H. Bryant, who also did the voyage, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, Homicidal, and the White Squall. I'm sure that's not problematic at all. Although I am reading a book about Cynthia Ann Parker, who is the real white squaw. (sighs) So I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that there that's in that movie and it's accurately depicted in everything. Uh Starring Joan Crawford. The Joan Crawford. Who was born Lucille Lesur. And that's not a bad name, Lucille. No, she she went by it for a, a while, but um people at MGM said that Lesur sounded like sewer. So she got the name Joan Crawford because they in a uh I forget which magazine it was. It was a film magazine. They had a contest, and the winner was Joan Arden. But there was a like an actress already, Joan Arden. It was like, um, excuse right. me. I exist. And so the second place was Crawford. And so that's how she became Joan Crawford. Huh. Lucille Lasore is a much better name, but it is. I yeah. It does sound like sewer and you know mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, they just I mean Lucille Lucille just sounded too exotic, I guess. Yeah, an <laughs> American name. You know, yeah, good old American name. Um Okay, they're not really sure the year that she was born. So out of because of that, out of spite, because I thought it would be funny and she would hate it. I went with the oldest year they listed. (laughs) (laughs) And that was 1904, which puts her about like 59, 58 ish when she's filming this. Um. So just to give some context for this and to paint who Lucille Lesur, a.k.a. Joan Crawford, is at the time of this filming, let's go back a little ways. In 1925, she was signed to MGM. Okay, also, let's go back a little bit ways further. Lucille Lesur was born in San Antonio, Texas, around the turn of the century. And that's, as I mentioned earlier, this book that I'm reading wild times going on in that part of the country um because you know there's still people who were here originally and they were hunting like the comanches and stuff and they were hunting buffalo and being on their horses and doing all their war raiding and their parties because that was their culture and you had the white settlers coming in um, clashes abouts and Just wild, wild times. There's a reason why it's called the Wild West. So when I found out that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Her father skipped out on them. Mm -hmm. Her mother remarried. She was, yeah, like molested by her stepfather. Yeah. And so then she was sent away to school. She ended up with only a sixth grade education. Um, and then when she was sent away to school, she had to do work 
Like she had to like clean the place in order to pay for her school. Mm-hmm. Oh, in front of the people who were paying, and then they would make fun of her for being the the poor little poor girl. Yeah. Right. So oh, this uh, Lucia Lasor, Joan Crawford, is much like is a, the young girl in the movie in the beginning. She had no fucking chance. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Turning out normal. Right. So she developed what she so then she went to I think her older brother went out to California. She went out to California. She signed with MGM. But MGM, remember, Irving Thalberg, he was running it. His wife, Norma Shear, they kind of had the same vibe going on, the light eyes and the dark hair. So she became um, Joan Crawford always felt that Norma Shear was her professional nemesis because she would go to plays oh. and she would see these movies or the you know the, the plays and come back to MGM and like I want to be in it and then she would see like oh Norma Shear got in it but mm-hmm. before all of that she wasn't getting the roles that she wanted to so she made herself into what was big at the time in the 20s she became a flapper like a nationally known flapper Wow. Yeah, that's the thing about like Joan Crawford is even though she had a sixth grade education, she knew how to tweak her image and figure out who she needed to become to get to where she knew that she wanted to be. So that happened in the 20s. Then in the 30s, she got cast in. She was always the young, the hardworking young woman who was rags to riches. And mm-hmm. that was uh, a pit of, like her role in Grand Hotel. And Grand Hotel, we got to do it at some point because it had yeah. all of the MGM stars in it of the day. Like Greta Garbo was in it, one of the Barrymores, a whole bunch of people. And that was a big star-making turn for her because here's Joan Crawford with these A-list actors. And she's, you know, doing her Joan Crawford thing. So... In the 30s and in the Depression era, it really that really struck with with audiences. They liked her hardworking rags to riches persona. But then she had a couple of flops and she, along with Catherine Hepburn, gets labeled as box office poison. So then by the end of the 30s, she at the very end of the 30s and 39, she's in the movie called The Women. And that was a huge success. And so then she solidifies that comeback within 1945. She wins the Oscar for her role in Mildred Pierce. Mm-hmm. And so then she's she's doing that crest wave. But then, you know, of course, as what happens with everybody, Father Time's undefeated and she starts aging and stuff. And there's new, younger, fresher faces. And, you know, everybody likes beauty and the youngness and the freshness. Um. So her career kind of goes down, trickles down. And then in the early 60s, I think like maybe 62, that's when she's with Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, yeah, Joan Crawford. That's right. These two bitches. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that kind of gave her career a a next phase. So she was always good with um, the ups and downs and rolling with it and everything. Uh, Diane Baker stars as Carol Cutler, her daughter. She was also in The Diary of Anne Frank, Journey to the Center of the Earth, and The Joy Luck Club. She was in absolutely every TV show in the 60s. She was! She was literally everywhere. And I loved her in everything. Yeah, 
not my favorite in this, but I get it. I get her. I get her role and stuff. Um, Leif Erikson is Bill Cutler. Nerd alert. He was a naval aviation's photographic uh, unit during World War II. So, so he'd be in the back taking the pictures in the back yeah. of the plane. Yeah. He's the reason, though, that we get all the footage that your parents and grandparents watch on the History Channel all weekend. Right. He got shot down twice over the Pacific. Got two oh. purple hearts. Wow. Yeah. Um, he was also in On the Waterfront, The Carpetbaggers, and Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kidd. We have Howard St. John as Raymond Fields, who was in Born Yesterday, Strangers on a Train, and The Tender Trap. John Anthony Hayes as Michael Fields. He was in Ride the Surf, Winter a Go-Go, and an episode of Perry Mason. I'm surprised he didn't go a little—I mean, he had he had the looks. You know the the weird thing about him, and this is this is tidbitty and uh, nitpicky on my part. He had weird his face photographed weird from different angles. He had oh. a weird profile. He had okay. a weird. It's it just like he looked like a cult. There would be sometimes I would look up and be like, "Who is that?" Oh, that's the fiance. He looks so different from in profile. You know that's and, true. That is yeah. true. So he was no Paul Newman, I'll tell you that. Nope. Rochelle Hudson as Emily Cutler. She was in Rebel Without a Cause, the 1934 Imitation of Life, and Curly Top. George Kennedy as Leo Krause. He sure was. He was in Cool Hand Luke, Mikhail's Navy, and the Naked. The Naked Gun movies, right? Mm-hmm. I put the Naked Truth in my notes. That's wrong. Edith Atwater as Mrs. Allison Fields. She was in The Sweet Smell of Success, True Sweet. Grit, and The Man Who Came to Dinner. And as Dr. Anderson, Mitchell Cox. He was not an actor, but he was actually vice president of public relations for the Pepsi-Cola company, which Joan Crawford was the widow of the president of the Pepsi-Cola company which i mean what better title than mrs pepsi cola yeah mm-hmm. and did you see the product placement mm-hmm. she had product placement in every one of her movies because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she knew how to sell pepsi and those are the particulars well done <clears throat> the movie begins with screams of horror and we hear a voiceover tell us that Lucy Harbin was declared legally insane at her trial. There is a flashback of her seven years of, of her seven years younger husband, one six million dollar man, Lee Majors, in his film debut. And more about that later. In his film debut and his former girlfriend in a bar. He takes her to his home where he left his young daughter asleep at home alone. And he brings in someone other than the mother to the marital bed. Right across the damn hall. Right. Doors open. open. (laughs) Not being Uh, quiet. No. Lucy gets off the train. 
looks through a window like she she's so anxious to get home. She even takes her belt off before she even looks out the window in the window, sees them like two corpses mm-hmm. laying on top of the bedclothes, fully, fully clothed. But she knows there's been some activity in there. Well, remember so, Hayes Code. I'm sure Hayes Code has something to do with a lot of this. And uh, it, this was a low-budget film. Yes. She picks up an axe and decapitates each with a single blow. Yeah. That was, I laughed out loud. <laughs> I laughed out loud. Um, she got that just, farm girl strength. Just goes crazy wielding that axe while the daughter is watching. Then we go to present day. Carol, the daughter lives with her aunt and uncle on a farm and her mother is being released to the farm where there are axes galore. Good idea. So many, and so many knives. Yeah. Uh, Carol is practically engaged to Michael who is coming to dinner. Lucy says she's not ready to meet strangers. <laughs> what could go wrong? When somebody just comes out of a mental institution and says they're not ready for something, believe them. And like double down on that belief when the reason they were inside the mental institution was for murdering two people with an axe. That is our setting of the table. So we are to POC. (laughs) 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 And cast, which we do have cast in this. Mm -hmm. Rich versus poor. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Lucy is born to a poor parent. Her education is meager. They said she was very much a woman and very much made aware of it. So I didn't realize, I didn't catch this from the movie. I caught it from reading about the movie was that she, when she was young, her parents pretty much arranged her marriage to an older man. And then he died. And that's how she had the property. And so because she was a woman with property, that's how she the, um, you know, the man that was seven years younger. The only reason he was interested in her at all could have any possible attraction to the woman that was seven years older than him was because she had property. Now, the child, Carol, was Carol a product of the six million dollar man and Joan Crawford or from her first marriage? I thought so too, but he didn't seem to care about her at all. I thought oh, so then too. Maybe it, oh, oh wait, maybe it was from her first marriage. Yeah. I think it was because it wasn't her real dad. So that's yeah. why he was like, oh. I don't give a shit what you see. Oh, okay. And it does make sense because the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, yo, like I get that you're, you know, like, yeah, that's your mom, but she like you saw her kill your dad in front of you. Yeah. And but they never mentioned it. And I thought that was weird that there was never a mention of like, but you killed daddy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was her dad. So yeah, I don't think so either. All righty. Um, other cast. I mean, um, yeah, the cast. I'm sure. Or- Carol seen well, both of them had some mental disorders. Yeah. And they probably didn't get to go to therapy. No, see, uh, Carol, Carol probably the daughter. had a lot of therapy yeah. and medication. 
But no. she went to live on a farm, and so she wasn't going to get... We didn't care about that back then. No. Yeah, totally. And just the the thing of caste where... I don't... They... Well, okay, so there's the, the thing with the, the, the parents that she's going to marry into. Like, those... They're rich, mm-hmm. and how they look down upon... I mean, they seemed to like Carol, but they wanted, before they signed off on the marriage, they wanted to meet her parents, or at least her mom. And that just seems like, uh, that's just cast in and of itself, because this is the person that's going to marry your son. But then from their point of view, I guess this is why they wanted to see who her mom was, because... Well, we did meet. We did meet Tini's parents before they even got engaged. Yeah. Oh. So, so you you gave the uh, oh I approve. No, there wasn't <laughs> any of that, but because I never approved my gut. No. no, it wasn't. It it was just to get to. We were both in town at the same time. We could get together and meet and have a dinner. Yeah, but this I, was. Yeah, I didn't consider it a um, a make audition. or break meal, but maybe the maybe just did. Was I on audition? Oh yeah, I, I've never told you that until now. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> I don't know well, how you passed, but <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it was my dad. Yeah, yeah, he brought all the personality. Yeah. And the schmooze, and I just had my drinks, so. Yeah, so it's just very interesting because um, the the idea of, I mean, yeah, like you were saying, Tini, the mental illness and the hereditary nature of that and just the, just the trauma of it, it, it is. Yeah, it's not like... Um, I mean, it's one of the more gruesome ways to kill someone. And I, yeah. I mean, nobody in town seemed to really care. Like when they were out shopping and stuff for new clothes, they were like, you know. Well, I don't think that them. they knew. No, they moved to a new place. That aunt oh, okay. moved to that farm far away from wherever the original. Oh, okay. That's why happened. I thought that it started in the Midwest because she was in an asylum in the Midwest. That's true. And then they came to, then she came on the train. And it isn't like it is now. Like there wasn't it in Ohio? Wasn't she in an asylum in Ohio? I mean, I didn't want to go there, but if you're just, if the shoe fits. (laughs) I've talked about the asylum in Cincinnati, Longview, where. My brownie leader went after one year of me being a brownie. Okay, wow. uh, any other cast? I think there is there's a cast with the, the depiction of mental illness. Oh, tep- that is, I mean, it's even, you can even see it today, but how mm-hmm. y- you can definitely tell that there's a reason why that people are talking about mental illness and destigmatizing therapy and all of that because you have movies like this where, oh, she's criminally insane. Yeah, because she killed people with an axe. Um, 
that's what insanity is. You know, like that's right. what mental illness is. Exactly. That like zero sum game and then like there's nothing in between. Right. And right. then also I didn't look into it, but just the fact that she killed the people and she went, she was found criminally insane. And then after 20 years, she was rehabilitated. I just feel like, I mean, we definitely know that. I just don't think that if it would have been a black, a poor black woman, <laughs> that she would have gotten the same treatment. Is what I'm saying. I didn't, I didn't look up that. I didn't do any research on it. It was, it was just a, just floating by the seat of my pants. And what uh, history has taught me, I, I just, just feel like that there, there would have been a difference there. Making an assumption there that, mm-hmm. yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah. I got no, no backs, no facts to back that up. So. Okay. So we are to nerd alerts. Okay. So this came out in January, January 8th, 1964. So I went back to the last half of 1963 to paint the picture of what the film was. <laughs> When people went to see this film in January, what they had just been through in the last six months. Man, the 60s. (laughs) So Buddhist monks, uh, they just started setting themselves on fire to protest the oppression that Buddhists were feeling or facing by the South Vietnamese government. Self-emolviation. I don't even know what it's called, but yeah, just lighting themselves on fire. Um. George Wallace stands at the door of the University of Alabama to protest integration. Medgar Evers is assassinated. His killer is eventually convicted in 1994. Mm -hmm. Damn. Zip codes were introduced by the Postal Service. That was the weirdest thing. And I thought my zip code was just mine. And then my friend Marianne had the same one and I argued with her. You can't have that one. That was mine. (laughs) Oh, the great zip code argument of 63. <laughs> um, the March on Washington happened, uh-huh. giving us the sweetest picture of Paul Newman of all time. But more importantly, Martin Luther <laughs> King's I Have a Dream speech. But really, Google image, <laughs> that picture of Paul Newman. Man. Um, oh, man. The 16th Street Baptist church bombings happened. Mm-hmm. Watch the Because in November, Kennedy had just been assassinated. We're not even to that, Mom. I'm going to chronological. Oh, order. wow. I'm, okay. I'm just painting the picture of what you, okay. like, this is what you lived through. This is, relax. This is your life. Yeah, you had the, the zip code argument. Then you have Bedford <laughs> Evers. Then you have four little girls being killed in a church. <clears throat> then you had... I didn't even know about this. 74 people died and 400 people were injured in a gas explosion during a holiday on ice show at the Indiana State Fair. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. How many? 74 dead. Damn. 400 injured. Now you have John F. Kennedy being assassinated. And so then that happened in November. And so then you're going into this. And then on the day that this film opened on the 8th of January, that's the day that LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, gives his war on poverty speech. And his goal was eliminating poverty by improving conditions 
for residents of low-income neighborhoods and by helping the poor access economic opportunities long denied to them. They had 1963. Well, this was in 64. January, January 64. Right. I mean, they had major incentives or initiatives were like the Job Corps, the Food Stamp Act, Social Security Act of 65, which created Medicare and Medicaid. Um, It's, I think, like 11 out of its 12 things are still running. But ever since then, it's constantly been under attack. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because conservatives are always really attacking this, but the whole world, like this whole thing of it was the war on poverty was to give it, make it be local. And that is a, like, it's set up as a conservative principle, the war on poverty. But as soon as it was equated with benefiting the lowest caste, the lowest rung of the caste, then people stop supporting things that benefited them because they didn't want it to, they would turn their back on benefiting them if it also benefited the lowest caste, Mm -hmm. which is why you need to read Isabel Wilkerson's book cast because it's the whole game. So unto that, this movie came into existence. Tina, you have any nerd alerts? Sure don't. Don't either. But I do have some reheatables. Um, okay, when when Lee Majors is taking his ex-girlfriend out of the bar, he got her totally drunk, and they go to his house, she gets out of the car and goes, I don't want to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he didn't take that as a no. Um, no, did giving, not mean no yet. Giving <laughs> yeah. an axe to an axe murderer, you know, when uh, George Kennedy give you want to hold the axe? Yeah. Um, yeah, but she's a woman. She's just a dame. What's this dame gonna do with an axe? I'm a man. And That's she just she just got out of the mental facility but she, they're letting her have as much alcohol as she wants Maybe well not a good idea i mean it wasn't exactly they were letting her but yeah it kind of seemed like she got she was just released and they were just like all right well hey well that's yeah in the 60s yeah you you showed us when you had your gray hair up in your bun and your conservative clothes on that you were going to be okay. That wig. <laughs> Which wig? <laughs> well, that black wig. Ugh. Ugh. And then and then when she's touching Michael's mouth when she's flirting with him, but touching his mouth. Ugh. No, walk out the door. Walk away. Others? Um, yeah, obviously, I wrote not when the daughter was home. Yes. Don't murder in front of three-year-olds. Oh, yeah, make possible. sure they're in a place with a door where at least the she door looks like at least six. Oh, okay. I mean, age is played with very loosely yeah. in this film anyway, so... 
as my recasting movie? Um, the parents picking Lucy's first husband. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. She only got 20 years for a double murder. Yeah, and it was, wasn't, I mean, well, I don't, that's the thing. I don't know about the conditions of the asylum, but I'm sure that they weren't great. But, yeah, yeah that's why I was just saying that just seemed weird. I guess because it was an act of passion and not planned out. I and I think know. because she was a woman, too. Probably. Um, room temperature milk. Mm. Exactly. Did he just has a pitcher of milk all the time without and then I just said, "Don't offer me milk when I come no. over." No. Ew. <laughs> no. Um, no. That might, guys. Unless you're getting, like, unless it's Kahlua inside, and then I guess I'm in. Is that the whitest thing that we've maybe ever seen in a film? <laughs> it could be <laughs> milk on the bar cart. Well, besides the next part, that dad just—he was creep. Yes, I uh, just—it's all in the family. There was some incest happening in there for sure. Yeah, mom flirting with husband. Yes. Oh, okay. That's what that means. <sighs> Those bracelets, I didn't like. I too loud. I know. That's how they were um, though. They were that way. Well, this was before the plot twist. Mm-hmm. I wrote Carol ignoring all the red flags, but I guess that mm-hmm. doesn't really apply anymore. It kind of exactly. applies to us ignoring yeah. all the red flags. We ignored all the red flags. Yeah. <laughs> did you all really, though? You didn't see that coming from the very no, beginning. I did. At all. I did, I did not at all. all. I did at the very beginning when she saw her and it was the superimposed, but then I completely forgot about it. It was wild. Wow. Okay. Cause I felt like they had over. They telegraphed had, it. Yeah, I did feel like it, but, and then I thought it's just because I listened to so much true crime, watch so much true crime. I mean, I guess the only thing when we, did see the daughter, like young Carol, in the bed watching. We just said she's fucked up. She got no yeah. chance. Yeah. So we should have known. Um, the driving scenes. Yes. Yes. The camera in front of the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, what does this say? <laughs> Teeny notes. Firing. The witness. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. She fired the guy. Oh, he was like helping get rid of the. He was helping her get rid of the car. Oh yeah. Yeah. Painting it. He was on her side, and she fired him. I didn't like that. She was mentally unstable. Yeah. (laughs) And those. Wow, my handwriting. We did finish watching this around 1.30 in the morning after some <laughs> drinks. Um, then that's my negatives. I have the poster for the film says, Straight Jacket vividly depicts axe murders. And I'm like, uh, there is no blood whatsoever no. in this film. <laughs> the only... When the heads are locked off and you can see the nice clean cut... Of the neck. Uh-huh. 
There's no splatter. The only, um, I guess, uh, whiff of blood would be in the uh, the pattern of her floral dress. This mm-hmm. was meant to to symbolize that. Um, I already, we already mentioned like the mental, the depiction of mental illness. Yes. Um, lots of people have mental illness. Not everyone is an axe murderer. Right. And I could just, can you imagine just like seeing this film and like, you know, there's mental illness in your family, but you're like, what are they axe murderers? It's just, uh, it can just, it can be not just, it can be depression. Yeah. And, and so many different yeah. things. Um, Okay, the thing with Lucy, I did not understand. Yeah, the, the lips and stuff in her hands. I didn't understand the switch that flipped when all of a sudden Michael walks into the room and then she just becomes, I'm sorry, she becomes a little tart. And va 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 voom. Yeah, and I couldn't, I'm like, did I miss her down a whole bunch of alcohol and now she's drunk? Like, what was this? Switch that got flipped. She was the wig. As soon as she put that wig on, she went back 20 years. No, because here's the thing. You say it's the wig. That's not what drove her to be a killer. It was those bracelets. The bracelets are the the trigger. Hearing all of the clank, 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 clanky. That's what drove her to insanity. Yeah. So let's let's do a study on the clanking of large bracelets and what that did to women's. <laughs> or tinnitus, which is very similar that I hear mm-hmm. all the time. That is ringing in your ears. How about just walking into someone else's house and just lighting your pipe? Yeah, just, we had that one in a movie a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that was just a thing that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people has Carol killed in her life? Right. Before all this. Right? Yeah. Because you don't just come out wielding that axe, you know, with the, that clean cut. <laughs> just, and then the, so, so I thought this is at the beginning when I saw this and it was re- revealed that it was a flashback being told by Carol that she saw her mother. Mm-hmm. What I thought was that that was like a fake memory and that Carol was the one that killed I wondered about those that two too. and that her mom mm. just went and did the, the bid for her and like came done. back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like came back. And so I kept waiting for that and waiting for that. It's a bad reheatable, but it's also, this is why this movie was so much fun. <clears throat> Sorry, I just spoiled it for you, but we warned you at the beginning when you're, I've audibly said, Wait, I, what is in my notes? I put it in my notes. I put like, oh, I, I audibly gasped like, oh, snap. When it was like the, the twist happens at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, what a fool, Aaron. What a fool. You had it. You knew at the beginning. And then for somehow you completely forgot. And then you were just laughing at all of the instances when Carol's showing the mom around and everything ends with the animals being killed. Like everything is like, oh, fatten them out to. And they just let slaughter just linger. Right, yeah. Right, right. Or like the killing of the chickens oh, and all. Yeah. And you're like, man, farm life is. Yeah. Whew. Um, 
like to reference what Teeny said about the guy. It's like, oh, you painted the car and tossed the license plate in the back seat. You're all good, buddy. You've cleaned this up for me. Yes. Thank you. But this, yeah, here's the uh, raise. But no. Yeah. Why are you showing me the license plates? These should have been gone a long time ago. Well, that's true. That's he, true. He's, he's on his way. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't helping my situation. That I, I feel like that's where she was coming from of... You're trying, but your incompetence is not up to snuff here. I needed the license plates gone. You're showing them to me. You're th- putting them back in the car. This is why your clock is ticking, dear sir. Isn't that when we found out it was Ohio? Because it was Ohio plates? Possibly. And then my final uh, battery heatable is just, man, children's rhymes. You got the Lizzie Borden yeah. rhyme. Which, by the way, she was acquitted of those charges. Yes, but the the rhyme lives on for anybody named Liz. Oh, <laughs> Liz. Um, I but I bet people showed you a little bit of respect. Put some respect on that. <laughs> Children's rhymes ring around the rosy. Yeah, that's about the plague. ashes. Ashes, we all fall dead. Yeah. Yeah, you you put you have a pocket full of posies so that it masks the stench of death that is around you. Yeah, yeah. London Bridge is falling down. Yeah, like all of these children's things. It's like, damn. If you ever read the the fairy tales of Hans Christian Andersen and um, who were the brothers? Brothers Grimm. Grimm. There's a reason why their name was Grimm. They're very very violent. And everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the Little Mermaid. Not what match girl. Okay. So those are my negative reheatables. So now we are to positive reheatables. I love the shadows. The mm-hmm. shadows make it so much more intense. But I I can watch horror films if this is what they are. <laughs> now there's a lot of blood. Thriller. After the mm-hmm. haze. Cl- right, right. I like suspense. Mm-hmm. Okay. The abstract paintings during the credits. Oh, my gosh. They were terrifying. Yeah, were and I loved them. I loved each one. I thought when we got to Carol's studio, she was going to have painted them. Mm. But I guess Maybe. that would. I think it was implied, a- though, that she kind of did. I mean, because she was, I read something where she was a sculptor, but the the paint, like, wouldn't she also paint? Right. Yeah. But I think if we said it at that point, everybody would would figure out the twist. So I knew it from the beginning. Um, The teeth in those paintings were scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what kind of shoes did they buy, Mama? Peep toe pumps. Mm. pumps which make no sense on a farm uh joan crawford has great crazy eyes mm-hmm. i think she comes by of honestly but my fave lighting a match off of a record yeah that was pretty good but that, that was awesome i put that as my move of the year Move of the year. Remember that when we do our uh, our awards, because it's wow. it's so awesome because it's visual and it's also 
she's she has the match. She has the cigarette. She has the match. She lights it on the record, which causes a record scratch. Yes. So then there's silence as she then lights her cigarette. It's it made just, me want to smoke cigarettes just to be able to do that. It's like that. This is Joan Crawford, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, I have that I like the bracelet jingle just because it adds to the suspense. Every time you hear yeah. it, you know somebody's going to get a head cut off. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very irritating to hear all the time. And what was Lucy's maiden name? Cutler. Oh. oh. Mm, interesting. Those are my positives. Um, I put screaming the beginning. Yeah, I liked it. It mm-hmm. it, it grabbed you right away. Let's see, Lucy. Oh, I just I like the nursery rhyme. Lucy Harden took an axe, gave her husband forty wax. Pretty catchy to me. Well, it's a takeoff of the Lizzie Borden, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Lizzie uh, that's where I'd heard it before. Mm-hmm. When the oh, dreaded pop- deed was done, she gave her mother 41. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. so they just copied that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's. Oh, okay. There was a scene. I can't remember who was saying it. But somebody. Oh, I think it was Carol talking to her mom. And she was like, look, there's nothing wrong. It's totally fine. Like, her mom was freaking out about something. And she's like, there's nothing wrong. And I was like, that's how we talk to the dogs. We're trying to get Tommy to go outside in the rain. It's fine. That's how I talk to first and second graders. Mm-hmm. Okay. I loved Carol's house shirt. Her house shirt, work shirt. She It didn't have a collar. It was just, like, buttoned up all the way down. It, it was a little it bit was longer. It was a smock. It was like a... Nice. It was, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, almost a kimono. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a drab kimono. Yes. Carol's white dress. Oh, the oh, white dress. Oh, um, that was a nice the, dress. That was it a was. Nice dress. I, she actually, I liked all of her dresses. How, yeah, how they were just style. a touch off the shoulder and a little bit lower in the back. Um, The axe silhouette. And the head chop. <laughs> and then I have this as both a positive and a negative. Bourbon and water. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. My um, father used to say if they didn't put it in at the distillery, they didn't want you to have it with the, uh, the drink. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. He was hardcore. Wow. Oh, so wait. You're talking about adding water. Okay. Truth be told, like when you, you two, my parents, show me how to make your drinks, y'all add a splash of water to your drinks. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do. I, I don't because the water is going to come from the ice. The melted cube. ice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you all are in the bourbon and water camp. Yeah. I am with. Paw on this one. Yeah, I, I understand that. It just stretches my drink a little bit more. Mm. That's all. Mm. It stretches. So this, you're my positives. 
I have same with Teeny and everyone else. This film takes off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. This is just like you are just like I just went. Oh wow, we are starting and we are yes, starting we are. fast are. and now <laughs> and we are going and I love it. Um, I thought it was a good reheatable that a woman owned property, but yes. it's a bad reheatable in that that's a good reheatable. <laughs> yes. But um, somehow the government didn't get it away from her because she was a woman in the 60s. Yeah. The the murder man, Joe Crawford, is just, she's loving being an axe murderer and that first mm-hmm. murder. Just, just loving it. Yeah. I thought I had this note written down because the film starts and I thought it was a great nod to Teeny. And I was like, oh, I get what she's saying now. There's no credits. And so when mm-hmm. the, the daughter shows up, I'm like, I don't know yeah. who this daughter is. I don't know anything. So then I put my notes and then later on they have like the credits and they ha- I didn't even read though the credits because I was I was looking at all the creepy art. So I exactly. still didn't know exactly. who was gonna show up. But isn't that really odd for the time period? Didn't usually the movie start right away with the credits? Um I don't I don't know. I think we'll, we'll have, have to, to pay a little pay more, more attention. attention. Um, but so we already mentioned like the teeth and stuff. I didn't real. I saw the Pepsi Cola and I had forgotten the whole tie into Pepsi Cola. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's a Pepsi family. Because growing up, that was like my y'all are a Pepsi family. And yeah. why were we a Pepsi family? Well, this, <laughs> Joan Crawford. <laughs> no. Um, I the story that I've heard is that Coca Cola Classic would not give their uh, supply their product to black soldiers during World War II, but Pepsi Cola right. would. And so, exactly. yeah, and then so that always puts me in a tight position because then I I I would have Coca Cola Classic when I went to Cincinnati to visit uh, Ma's family, and I'm like, damn it, I. Do you prefer this taste better? What does this mean? Oh. Yes. It's your white side speaking. It It doesn't speak often, but every once in a while. It's like, but that that fizzy, sweet, sweet biz of that sweet, sweet Coca-Cola classic. The perfect combination of fizz and sweet, sweet. Yeah. So, so I, I can have either if, if it's up. To, I mean, I haven't had a soda pop in almost a year at this point. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> I can't say the same. I loved how Joe Crawford, whenever she would get nervous, her nervous tick was to just start stabbing things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why not? Like, guys, I'm, I'm, I don't know if she should be released. You guys saw this? Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. stabbing things. Um, the twist, it got me, but it shouldn't have. Because the whole time I'm like, the daughter was the husband's killer. And and like I'm just going along with it and going along with it. And I was like, damn. Did you notice at the end of the movie, the Columbia logo was headless? No, I have that for Tasty Nuggets. Oh. I didn't see it. Uh-huh. Oh, her like, head was next to her. And ah, okay. So I thought that this was very interesting. You know, it was a very interesting mother-daughter dynamic. It was fictional in this, 
But then anytime that anybody, I think whenever I think of June Crop, Joan, Joan Crawford, I can't help but think of why you're hangers. Exactly because of Mommy Dearest and that portrayal, which that book came out. I have that more in my t- uh, actually I have that in my MVPs. But I thought it was very interesting how like they ha- obviously they had a complicated mother and daughter relationship, Carol and Lucy, and then Christina and Joan Crawford also. So I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But it is because of Joan that I don't have. Well, no, not just because of Joan that I don't have wire hangers, but she's a big part of it. But also on our first move to Germany before Aaron, um, our crate, the, the army sends movers to your house and they just take everything in your closet and hang it in a hanging cardboard wardrobe type box but so they did that for us our crate had not been sealed properly so when it crossed the atlantic ocean and waited for us in germany there was a lot of water seepage and those wire hangers rusted every piece of clothing we had so now the government doesn't let packers do that anymore (laughs) so that's why i don't have wire hangers Man, all of that rusted polyester. All that rusted polyester, and it might still be up in the attic of the Frenzel's house. Because <laughs> it was all moldy and rusted, and you got and like... why throw it out? Well, you could... At first, we couldn't for insurance reasons. Because oh. they might come back and look at it and say, was any of this salvageable? Um, which it wasn't, and then we just didn't get rid of it because if you live on the German economy, your trash can is. uh, You had the biodegradable and non-biodegradable. That's like 30 years ago. So a sixth of the size of what we do for a trash can. So we would have, yeah, we might've left it up there. I'm sorry, Frenzels, if we did. Okay, so we are to quotables. We are. The girl's saying, I don't want to at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah but Teeny already established this is before No Met No, so. Yeah. <laughs> She's dying to see you. All, yeah, of the, all of the vocabulary that had to do with death and dying and slaughter was yeah. so funny to me. Mm-hmm. Erin uh, already mentioned this one. She was very much a woman and very much aware of the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just still to into to, de- to this day. I just hate to see anything caged. But as soon as I saw those chickens, I thought they're all going to get their heads cut off. This is yeah. not the place for an axe murderer to be. Scotch on the rocks, please. Oh, you're one of those. You damn well sure know that I have that in my reheatables because I'm like, oh, look at me and an axe murderer finding common ground. We both clock scotch drinkers the same way. Uh-oh, teeny. <laughs> uh, oh, my knitting, it's all unraveled. Um, mm-hmm. Evidently, Joan Crawford always knitted on the sets of any movie she was on. That was her hobby, knitting. Mm-hmm. With sharp 
knitting. Uh-huh. I had it all started on a hot, sticky Saturday night. Yes. Uh, very much aware of the fact. Yep. Oh. I okay. Also, like Lucy Harden, born and raised on a farm. Parents poor. Education meager. <laughs> It was like the beginning of a Star Trek episode, yes? And then we were like, daughter fucked. Um, <laughs> I thought it was like an old detective thing. Yeah. Um, everyone is a stranger. And then I don't know why this made me laugh, but Carol's mother's been an invalid. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know what this is about, but somebody said everything bothered her. <laughs> and I just related. <laughs> Those are my quotables. So for my quotables, I almost had the same thing. I thought all oh, it's all in the family that the creepy father said. Yeah, that was. It was that's not okay. And then this made me laugh maybe the hardest in the film was when the doctor shows up and he's like, ah, oh, you know what? I think I'm gonna take her back. And the daughter, Carol, goes, but you're on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that just tickled me so much. <laughs> that it was just like, oh, you, oh, it's unbelievable. You can't. You're here on, but you're on, va- you're on a vacation. She's <laughs> like, yeah, but this woman was like convicted of killing two people with an axe. And she's uh, maybe. Yeah. Unstable <laughs> right now. I'm willing to cut my vacation short in the in the name of public safety. And now I'm gonna have to kill you. Damn. Mm-hmm. But then it makes sense because then you're like, oh, she would like she was just, yeah, she was just grasping at straws to. So then it, but still, but you're on the vacation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who? Um, I guess LVP. LVP now. All right. My LVP, I've said three times already. Bracelets. No. Taking an axe murderer (laughs) to a farm where there are axes galore. And and just death. Like, you have to kill by beheading. Yeah, like beheading is is a normal thing for the day. Hmm. Well, at first... I did my LVP before finishing the movie. So I, first I, my LVP was Carol for be, ignoring the red flags, firing the guy. And now my LVP is myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I I ignored all the red flags. Mm-hmm. I should have known better. So I really don't have an LVP for the movie. I enjoyed all of it. It's so funny, Dee Dee, because I just, I looked down at my notes and I was like, oh my god, I don't have an LVP. I yeah, didn't have I one. Just, there was nothing bad to me. I guess I could stretch and maybe say that because, so Psycho came out in 1960. I was gonna say maybe William Castle because there are certain things in this movie where you can see how, oh wow, William Castle is, it's a, you know, he's a great filmmaker. But he's no Alfred Hitchcock. But then I was like, but that's unfair. 
there's only one Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. So then I was scrambling, scrambling, and I just I settled on Michael. I just decided that Michael was the LVP specifically for just how he reacted to Joan Crawford putting her fingers all on his lips and stuff. Mm. And because his face just looked different from every different angle, okay. I, I was just like, all right, it's Michael for me. Fair enough. And how is Michael not seeing some red red flags here? All right. Yeah. Okay, and, and I mean, his dad does end up getting murdered, which might bode well for him. He might end up the MVP of this. If, exactly. If his dad's out the picture now. I mean, I guess that makes because he's a man. So doesn't that make him super wealthy now? Yeah, he he inherit. I mean, if you want to inherit a dairy farm, not everybody wants to inherit a dairy farm, but. To like sell it to a fairway or <laughs> yeah yeah who knows MVP mm-hmm. uh, this is a touch controversial but Carol's planning man she had it down to the oh, nanosecond did she, she not she was in for that long con she was in for the yeah. long con <gasps> mommy buy this wig you look like i remember you looking mommy buy this dress yeah. she thought it all out that doesn't work i've tried it so many times it never works so the fact that he i, I guess i guess if my mother had the guilt of murdering people with an axe in front of me maybe that leverage would have got it to work for me but yeah she and then the okay i forgot to write this down but i'm just remembering now when she's in the sculpture and she had the she lifts it up and it's her mom's face Mm -hmm. i said why did she have a sculpture of katherine hepburn (laughs) (laughs) that was actually really a sculpture of Joan Crawford, I'll talk more about it in Tasty Nuggets. Okay. Mm. My MVP uh, runner-up was Joan Crawford's Screams. Mm. Mm-hmm. But my MVP is the plot twist. It got me. I had no fucking clue. Yeah. What, what did you, what you, when she came through with the I mask? Said, oh, shit. <laughs> Adam didn't know either. Me too. I did. I audibly was like, oh, what? Yeah, I had no clue. Yeah, it it completely made sense. So my MVP is Lucille Lasore, a.k.a. Joe Crawford. Yeah. Um, MGM screenwriter Frederica Sager Moss. This is a quote from her said, quote, No one decided to make Joan Crawford a star. Joan Crawford became a star because Joan Crawford decided to become a star. I was like, I mean, the man who, you know, um, abused her. She thought that that was her father because she was so young Mm -hmm. that she didn't know that her real father had left her. Her older brother had to break the news to her. Just... I mean, she really wanted to be a dancer and she protested being, she didn't want to go to piano lessons. So she jumped off the porch and cut her foot on a broken milk bottle. 
And that kind of, <laughs> she, she had to have all these surgeries and operations on her foot. Um, she considered Norma Shearer to be her professional nemesis. There's just, and then plus the whole thing of seeing this movie at this time, it goes, takes into account because, you know, when you're an actress and stuff, and especially like you're young and you're a flapper and you're, even though she had a sixth grade education, she was taking the thing that she had, which was her looks. And then she builds that into a career, but your looks don't last forever. And especially like in Hollywood and especially, I mean, it's even that way today. Once you hit 40, like you just have an expiration date as a woman. So that's why I thought that this role was so fascinating because it's taking into account all of these aspects of that. Um, I mean, in 1964, because we'll, we'll go into the recasting, but she was around 59. And that's basically akin to being to being an actress in your 90s at this point. In yeah, today. I didn't realize she was, that, she was old. Old. Yeah, but she was just 59. I know. But the, in 1964, like a 59-year-old actress was yeah. like, basically she's Betty White up there, you know? Yeah, so. <laughs> um, in 1968, Christina was her, her daughter. She was 29 and she was on a soap opera called The Secret Storm, where she played a 24 year old housewife. And Christina ruptured, uh, she had an ovarian tumor that ruptured. And so she needed emergency medical surgery and she was going to be laid up for a while. And Joan Crawford was 60 at the time. And she was like, look, guys, I know you're in a bit of a pickle, but uh, if you need me to fill in for my my daughter, <laughs> I'll play the part. And she oh did. God. What? They, yeah, they agreed. And so Joan Crawford at 60 years old was playing a 24 year old housewife. And she oh filled in God. until her daughter was ready. And that oh. this happened in 1969. Oh, that's that's like she was a bad mother, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, but then that's that's the it's the fascinating thing about Joan Crawford and Christina because. Okay. It, uh, are you gonna get into buying them off the black market? No, I didn't even go into that. Oh, I was just God. saying about how so like they had that relationship, and then. At the time, Christina said like that she was thrilled about it when she woke up from surgery and found out her mom was playing her part. And Joan Crawford, you know, the publicity and all was just like, I'm just keeping her part warm for her. But can you kind of see like if you were Christina, I'm just like this bitch just so you I can kind of see it from both ways. Like from Joan Crawford, she's like, look. It'll it'll actually give this more publicity and more people will want eyes on it. And then when you come back, it'll make you a bigger star. But also like narcissist. She's a yeah. She's a narcissist. Yeah. Narcissism. So here's this one's for you, Ma. So in nineteen on September twenty-third, nineteen seventy-four. When Joan Crawford saw an unflattering photos of her that appeared in newspapers the next day, she said, quote, if that's how I look, then they won't see me anymore. And she wasn't seen again. 
That's see, that's somebody who can read a room. Yep. She was just like, I shall not be seen again. And so then in 1978, so I think Joan Crawford died in 1977. And then in 1978, that's when Mommy Dearest was published. So we are to recasting. I only recast Lucy and Carol. That's all Mm -hmm. I did. So we're going to play with uh, ages and time frames because makeup can help with all that. Mm-hmm. My Lucy, Joan Crawford part, goes mm-hmm. to Taraji P. Henson because, come on, she can make some crazy eyes. Oh, yeah, that's good. <clears throat> she would be good at that part. Now, my Carol has to come across as the sweet... Um, virginal, um, positive, everything is good, kumbaya, Lupita Nyong'o. Okay, so you are definitely playing with the age. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, Taraji's got to be, gotta be uh, made up, up to be older, and Lupita needs to well, be maybe... I mean. but, she but, does it. She can she could play a 16-year-old. Come on. But she doesn't need to play a 16-year-old. She needs to play in like okay. So if Joan Crawford was 16 when she came, gave birth to Carol, then in 20 years 36. Yeah. So yeah. Well. So I think that's so, good. That could all work. Mm-hmm. Teeny, did you have a recasting? Uh, not this week. Not this week. I went the opposite direction of you, Ma. I went with the actual ages of the actresses. Okay. Mm. So I wanted to know. I looked at actresses who were born in 1962. It will put them around the age of Joan Crawford when this movie was made. Okay. And there's a bunch of actresses. But then I also wanted to try to, to get that mystique of like the Joan Crawford, you know. Mm-hmm. So there were two actresses that I came up with. And I think it's very interesting to sort of uh, play with what we thought of their eight of Joan Crawford, 59 and 59 today. Yeah. more. Damn. Hmm. Right. And yeah. has had a career spanning that. And Jodie Foster. Yep. Oh. Both of them. Yep. But you would never think. No. Because they, like, no. they just made Joan Crawford out to be like she was 80 in this movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So at least ageism is getting better. And so then I looked at actresses and I believe, uh, what was her name? Diane Baker I think she was around 25 or so when this movie came out. So I think I looked at actresses born around 1996 and it made me laugh because like the first actress that came up was like Zendaya. And I was like, no, Zendaya, get out of here. You're in everything. Exactly. I'm I'm keeping it moving. So I I came up with Florence Pugh. (gasps) Oh, well uh-huh. done. And so I thought that, that that's that's where you would remake it. Yeah. Well done. 
Okay, I do have some tasty nuggets. Mm-hmm. This was the film debut of Lee Majors, who played Joan Crawford's seven-year younger husband. At the time, he was married to Farrah Fawcett. Oh. Now, listen to this. Mm. His good friend, Rock Hudson. Yes. Mm. Like, like, asked a favor of the director, please place my good friend, Lee Majors, in a role. Now, are you... Are you saying that Lee Majors and Rock Hudson were more than platonic friends? Yes. <laughs> okay. Are you also saying that Rock Hudson and William Castle were more than platonic friends? I'm not. I, I don't know anything about Castle Dude Schloss. But um, because when, Ro- when I read that, I went the I didn't think of it was automatically Lee Majors. I went that it was Rock Hudson and William Castle, and I had nothing to back that up with. I it it's just interesting to. And then when you say I'm like, well, there's there's nothing either way, or there's the third way, and the Rock Hudson they were all just platonic friends, and there was nothing. It was a menage a trois platonic. <laughs> I just when when Rock Hudson got involved with the younger Lee Majors, I mean gorgeous six million dollar man dude. I just I went there. You so, just assume, but that's how Rock Hudson got into the movies was because uh-huh. he was good looking and younger, and I think that's how most honestly that's how most actors got in was because they caught the eye of whoever somebody. it was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pepsi, the product placement in all her films. Um, you already did Dr. Anderson. Joan Crawford required the skip, the script completely rewritten to her specifications. You're mm. dealing with a grand dame here, so get ready. Mm-hmm. She's going to have some opinions because by this time she's, what do you have to argue with? She's like, uh, that's it. That's why, like, if Jodie Foster was in the remake, you don't think that Jodie Foster would have some say in the script? Like, yeah, exactly. Me. I'm exactly. fucking Jodie Foster. Exactly. I've got some notes. Read my IMBD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the sculpture of Joan Crawford was done by a Yugoslavian artist in 1941 and presented to her on the set of the film A Woman's Face. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he just did the sculpture and presented it to her, and then they used it in this film. Um, She got Joan Crawford $50,000 plus 15% of the profits plus script and cast approval. Mm. It looks like when when she was placed on the board of Pepsi, she did a little learning. You know, the woman might not, might have only had a sixth grade education, but Mm -hmm. she continued to educate herself throughout her life. Well, that was always, uh, um, that was always an insecurity of hers. I'm sure. Which I would imagine. Because you run into it with people who haven't gone 
to college and stuff, they'll always uh, bring it up. And it's like, well, you didn't really miss anything, you know, like all of that, all of that is like all the books and stuff that were assigned. Unless you're going to like medical school or some shit then. Mm -hmm. But people will always bring that up. So you can just imagine that somebody with a sixth grade education is just going to constantly feel exactly like they're not smart. When honestly, you look at the career that she put together and everything, and it's like, no, you you got it. You mastered it. Yeah. Um, Originally, the script called for the mother, the Joan Crawford role, to be in a fat suit because she had just, you know, for 20 years at the asylum, gotten fat. And Joan Crawford said, oh, no, 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 no. I, me thinks not. No, that's not going to happen. Put those V-shaped belts at the back of my back, bitches. You know that Joan Crawford was known for her, um, like, she's known for the shoulder pad look and the broad mm-hmm. shoulders, but that's because she had such, what, the the costume designers and stuff in the 20s and 30s were like that she had manly broad shoulders and ah. that's why that's why she had because they were like well we can't do anything with them so we just have to over exaggerate them oh and I really ju- yeah so i that's another another soft spot of joe crawford is like oh as somebody with with a pair of shoulders myself i'm <laughs> i remember go, when you were in sixth grade at Bad Kreuznach Elementary School, and your PE teacher, Dr. whatever the fuck her name was, but you had to be able to spell her name on a written test to get credit. Um, well, I mean, she was a, an American PE teacher teaching at Department of Defense dependent schools in little Bad Kreuznach, Germany. So... She gave you a B in PE. And I went in and I said, you know, why? And she said, she has no upper arm strength. And I said, she swims and she doesn't know her legs can help her. Yeah. She has upper, she's she's a, a female. So you assume she doesn't have upper arm strength. But why don't you check it out? Because those legs that are huge, that you think that, like, oh, that's they where just hang there. <laughs> Doing they nothing. Did nothing to propel you through the water. You know how many times I've yelled at this kid to use those things? And nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. The, there was somebody off screen every time that Joan Crawford decapitated somebody, or Diane Baker did, that was cutting a watermelon. With an axe, and that was the sound. Yeah. Mm. I loved Diane Baker's little car. It was a Fiat 600 with the the doors going out the wrong way. Oh, yeah. I thought it was adorable. And I have that um, at the end, the the Columbia lady with the torch was beheaded at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to end with Diane, Diane Baker, Baker 
with her going crazy saying she's insane. She's in, but Joan Crawford went, no, 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 no. We're not going to end this film with Diane Baker having a high note. We're going to end the film with me. Excuse me, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm Joan Crawford. You must not know about me. You must not know about me. So I'm she, a survivor. <laughs> so, so she had the final scene where she tells the doctor, yeah, you know, everything's Wait. fucked. Yeah, let's talk about that final scene. So she, uh, you know, her daughter is an axe murderer. So she's getting sent to the asylum that... Joan Crawford is like, that place is horrible. The movie ends with Joan Crawford's character moving back in there to be with her daughter in that horrible asylum. Because she's like, well, it's kind of my fault. So at least I'll be there for her. I gotta show her the ropes. Uh, Yeah. yeah. That's not a toxic relationship. No, it's a very young and the restless ending. Yeah, Yeah. And because she was so, it was one of those things where she was so calm about it that I would have, if I was a doctor, I would have come back to life and be like, no, no, your calmness in how you are able to process this means you are actually rehabilitated and are allowed to now be in the world. Exactly. Exactly. And your daughter needs to be locked up for life. Other tasties. I don't really have a lot, but. There's the podcast. Uh, oh shit! You must remember this. <gasps> they have a like six part series called Six Degrees of Joan Crawford. <gasps> oh, that's oh my right. God! I have to so listen started, to that. I started listening. I listened to episode one this morning. Um, and I, it's very. I mean, episode one is largely about her clearly her childhood and like mom um so i highly recommend i gotta listen to the other five parts Mm -hmm. but i mean joan crawford joan crawford i mean but also i mean if she really did I mean, apparently she did some shitty things to her kids. I haven't seen Mommy Dearest ever. Oh. I know. I mean, I know the wire hanger. I know the wire hanger scene and all of that. It's Um, just, it's tough because people say, oh, she was a great mom. And there's other people who are like, well, no, she was a, she was a taskmaster because she, she was very strict, which you could see that because of how strict she, she had up. to be to right. be able to right. become who she was. Exactly. And she, you know that she didn't have, just based on her past, like, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure it's not like she was given the tools and and had a great, you know, like, if I became a parent, I, w- I would have some sense of what to do because I saw, like, good parenting, right. you know? Like her, a lot all alleged. Like, didn't it all come out after she had already died? Yeah, she had already died, and that's when Christina wrote the book. It was in the early '80s after she had died. She was afraid of her. But so that's the problem is that you can see both sides of it as being like, oh, I could totally see her doing that, and then also I could totally see Christina. Yeah, I watched a very old 
thing on E! News called, like, mm. Mysteries and something, clearly from the early 90s, late 80s, maybe. And um, it was, like, a 15-minute segment on Joan Crawford, but related to, like, Mommy Dearest. And they mm-hmm. were talking about, they interviewed, what's her name, Christina? Mm-hmm. And she was, like, I mean, they were showing some of the news. They did, like, whole TV segments called, like, Mm -hmm. At Home with Joan Crawford, where it would show Mm -hmm. her, like, being such a great mom. Um, But then (laughs) Christina started talking about how she she was like, I was really the only one who was ever adopted, actually. She basically bought the other three kids Um, and like she was like to this day we haven't been able to find a birth certificate or any papers about Christopher or but I don't know either way fascinating to me Mm -hmm. fascinating person Mm -hmm. yeah because all of that stuff can be true or the truth is probably somewhere in between but what is undeniable is that that woman took everything that happened to her in real life Mm-hmm. and synthesized it and what you see on screen is is weirdly intertwined with that and it just creates this persona of like i can't stop watching this woman right like, like she's not the most drop dead gorgeous like i mean I as a flapper she, i was like oh wow but she just had something in her. And even in this movie, this is like a, a B movie, low budget. Very and much. she brings it. Yes. She was just all in, in in her performance. And, you know, that's the thing with the, people can do horrible things to be horrible people in real life. But sometimes that camera turns on and just what happens between their face and their emotions and the camera is magic. Yeah, and there were two other people who were supposed to be the Carol role. Oh yeah, she got rid um, of them for Diane Baker. Well, she wasn't supposed to be in this movie. Right. Joan Blondell was had yes. the role, but she got right. injured, mm-hmm. and then Anne Helm was an actress, and they started, um, you know, doing their or, you know, walkthroughs and rehearsing, and Joan Crawford was like, nah. To say she's not working. And Diane Baker had worked with Joan Crawford on a previous film, Mm -hmm. The Best of Everything. And so Joan Crawford was like, nah, get Diane in here. We work well together. And so. And that's what can happen when you have that pedigree behind you. And you know, and there's going to, and then that that also creates enemies. Because do you think that Anne Helm is somebody who was like, yeah, Joan Crawford is, I understand why she did what she did. Or is mm-hmm. Anne Helm going to be out there being like, that bitch, Joan Crawford, let me tell you something about, you know? And, like, Joan Crawford was just like, I, I don't have the time. Like, my time in this being a star and a marquee is dwindling. I am getting right. older. Right. I don't have right. time. I can't be dealing with this. I need this. I don't care. Get me Diane Baker. Yes. Is Every- that for your tasty nuggets, Teeny? Yes. All right. I have that the director, William Castle, that he was known for his gimmicks of movies and stuff. So when he was starting out, because he, much like Joan Crawford, you know, 
orphaned at 11, dropped out uh-huh. of high school. So, you know, like hard scrabble life. His life somehow like it intertwined with Orson Welles. At one point, he hired a German actress for a play that didn't exist. And at that time, any German-born actors, because I think this was in the 30s, they could only appear in plays that originally were performed in Germany. So he hired this woman for this play that didn't exist. Over the weekend, he wrote the play. He called it Das ist nicht für die Kinder, which is, this is not for children in right. English. He Even I it, could. Yeah, he wrote it over a weekend, that. got it translated. Um, and then when the actress was invited to a Munich performance, he somehow like got a tell, like leaked a telegram to the press, basically saying that in his play, he's like, I have the actress who said no to Hitler. And so then like that became the people were like, Oh, excuse me. What? And then before the, like the weekend before the play was to open, he went and vandalized the theater. He put swastikas all on the theater. Oh my God. And he was German himself, but he did that to be like for the spectacle of it for this play that he wrote in a weekend and it became a hit. And so then he's, he kept up with the gimmicks. Um, he remember the film, Le Diabolique that we did yes. like mm-hmm. that was an inspiration for his his turnabout into into that so this sort of genre that he was doing now um for he did this film i think it's called macabre i've heard the, of that yeah he gave certificates for a thousand dollar life insurance policies from lloyd's of london in case patrons would die of fright Oh, so anybody wow. that came in, he's like, here Lloyds of London. He had nurses in the lobby and a hearse outside. That's good advertising. Oh my God. He had the tingler. He came up with like these chairs with a buzzer um, so that, you know, like something would jump and it would buzz you. And they, they were chairs like from he got them from uh, something with the army in like and he was able to like rig them up. For his movie Homicidal, at a certain point leading up to the climax, there was a timer of 45 seconds. And it was like, you have 45 seconds to leave the theater if you want to get a full refund. And then what people would do is they would go see the, the movie, watch the whole thing, and then and then stay, watch the second, but then go get the refund. And so then to put the kibosh on that... He came up with different colored tickets. And then he also came up with Coward's Corner. So if people did want to leave after 45 minutes, there was like this whole yellow path that they would have to walk. And they would have to like walk past the nurse. And then you would have to walk and like stay in this holding cell in the lobby and be given a certificate that said you were a coward. Um, Yeah, so I take it. So but when when Straight Jacket came about, they were like, man, like, relax with these gimmicks. OK, don't do any gimmicks. So he's like, all right, I'm not going to do any gimmicks. But, you know, he couldn't resist. Oh. He's like, I got Joan Crawford. So Joan Crawford goes around, went around to different movie theaters and he printed out cardboard axes and gave them out to yes. patrons yes. and stuff. Yes. Um. Let me see. And then I just have that. This came out and it just came out with mixed reviews. Some people were like, 
oh, it's just a good time. And Joan Crawford is great. And some people are just like, this is schlock. Mm-hmm. This is over the top. It's awful and dreadful. My, how the mighty have fallen. So. Well, they had terrible taste then. Yeah, because I think, like. I, thought I mean, it was great. It was a great time at the movies. Are there things? Are there scruples? And would you have liked to see different things? But no. limitations. I, I would have liked a little bit of blood splatter. No, I didn't Just, need it. But you know what? You're right. And and she is not slumming at all. She is bringing it one hundred ten percent. Right. Right. Okay, is that is that our straight jacket episode? I think so, Ma. Good, oh. good job. That was Poppy's choice. He had seen bits and pieces and thought we should definitely do it. Oh. So next week, so we were, you know, we were in 1975 for a Rocky Horror. Yes. Then we went to 1968. Uh This was night. Then we went to 1964 here. Uh We're going to go to 1962. We're just going to keep going further back. Oh, I'm so much younger. Okay. I was 10. Okay. You probably didn't see this in the theaters then. I can probably guarantee you. So your hmm. little blonde pigtails, ten-year-old ma, just adorbs. See how I can get you to guess this. It came out on Halloween Day. Halloween Day, nineteen sixty-two. Now this is gonna be stretched because it's one hundred and thirty-four minutes. Like, wow! You gave us one hundred thirty-four. I didn't minutes. know that until that moment. This moment. Understood. Um. I don't want to give you too much. Robert Aldrich. Does that mean anything? He was the producer. I've heard the name. Heard the name. And director. Written okay. by Lucas Lucas Heller. But it's based on a book. Based on a book. It uh, was nominated for five Academy Awards. Wait, 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 wait. Not the Truman Capote book, In Cold Blood. No. Okay. No. One of the actresses was received their 10th and final nomination for best actress in this film. Actress. 10th and final. 10th it and involves an intense, bitter Hollywood rivalry between two female stars. Um, it is black it is. comedy camp and psycho bitty sub- subgenre. Oh, Psycho Bitty, that's what this kind of falls into, the, the Psycho mm-hmm. Bitty. Whatever oh. happened to Baby J? Yes! How did you do that? <laughs> good, a good piggyback. That is yeah. such a great yeah. run it back. Because there were a couple times, she, I'm sure Joan Crawford will come out of her grave at this, but that she sounded to me like Betty Davis a couple times in this film. Weren't there a couple of times where, okay, so in Feud, that was a, uh, okay, Feud is hilarious because that was on on FX and it it had 
Susan Sarandon playing Betty Davis. Yeah. But when I was watching Straight Jacket, I kept thinking of Susan Sarandon as Joan Crawford. But in Feud, Susan Sarandon played Betty Davis and Joan Crawford was played by Jessica Lange. The hilarious right. thing is that for a while you couldn't watch Feud because old Olivia de Havilland, recently deceased in like the plus 100, she had put like a cease and desist on it because she did oh. not like her portrayal yeah. by um what's her name? Catherine Zeta Jones. Yes. So oh. it, you couldn't watch it for a long time. It was so good though. Yeah. So there not- were a couple times Joan Crawford said something and I went, that sounds like Betty Davis, which would have driven her nuts because they were they were definitely always vying for the same parts. Wow, this is great. I just, after listening to the first episode of that podcast, I I was like, I need to know more about her. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard about that movie a lot, but I feel like um, our friends over, our friends on Exactly Right Network, Karen and Georgia, have talked about it. Okay. At some point. So, yeah, we're just going to do it. Perfect. I love it. Outstanding. Because you know what? I'm not afraid of horror films anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, they aren't that you, horrifying. Well, you conflate horror with slasher. Yes, I do. Yes, you're yeah. right. And I do like you like psycho biddies. Yes. Yeah, you like like true crime, like murder, psychological suspense thrillers. Although I've fallen asleep on every dateline and 48 hours I've tried to watch since I got home. But yeah, this is going to be interesting, too, because isn't this about two sisters and one sister is taking care of the other sister? (laughs) I feel a little too close to home. (laughs) Okay. Well, you uh, if you show up, Ma, oh, if no, you show up next week, if you show up in white face and you got like the the Betty Davis thing, I'm just gonna be like, oh my gosh, we broke her. I might have to done. do that. I might have to do that. The whole white powder. Yeah, she's done. We know what happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. That's gonna be fun next week. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Gone with, the B- <laughs> Gone with the Bushes. That's what the podcast is called. Yeah. We talked about a movie today that is called Straight Jacket. Straight Jacket! <laughs> and we hope you join us next week for whatever happened to Baby Jane. What could whatever go wrong? <laughs> I'm nervous. Well, there you go, listeners. Bye. Bye.